1: Hello and welcome to The Ruck. This is a special edition where we've cleared away both Jonesy and Lawrence so there's room for other voices to be heard. Uh, that's largely because I want to do some talking again. That's Mio in slot. Uh, but mainly because we want to talk French rugby, because Europe is so dominated by French rugby, and because we've got one of the absolute authorities on the subject with us in Ben Kayser. Ben can be found on God knows how many different TV and radio platforms. He also has his own excellent rugby podcast called Le French Rugby Podcast, though don't be fooled because it is in English. So if you do like the sound of him here, then you can also go and follow him there as well. Ben's one of those guys who is fast becoming... Uh, as well known for his broadcasting as he was for the fact that he was pretty decent on the pitch too. For those who need a catch-up and think, see, think he's just a TV face now, Ben won 47 France caps and played for some of the great teams, Stade Francais, Leicester, Castro and... Eight seasons at Claremont. So, um, uh, Ben, great to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, Absolute pleasure. Listen, I've had a smile on my face all weekend. Things are looking good. Um, I'm holding my passport closer to my chest than ever. So I'm very pleased.
1: You must be close to having a UK passport now, aren't you? I mean, you're, you're, (laughs) you're almost permanently on our TVs.
2: Yeah, so I moved. I met my wife, who's originally from Kent. When I played in Leicester, she was studying there. And after that, she moved to France with me. We have two little girls that after 11 years in France, we thought we'd take back on the other side of the channel to go into some fantastic English schools. So we're based in Tunbridge Wells now. So since last, last August, where I'm back in the UK.
1: Oh right. brilliant so we have captured you permanently then is that is that like playing for the a-team of a nation if you um if you're living in if you're living in tunbridge wells and you must now be properly english brilliant well <laughs> uh, we also have um an old favorite uh, chris jones back to join us to uh, give us some authority and some levity and um uh, great to have you back again chris you're all well
3: very well. I'm very impressed that Ben is now either a man of Kent or a Kentish man. You have to sort of, we have to quiz him now to find out which one he is, but uh, great to know that uh, we may have left Europe, but we've actually stolen a bit of uh, Europe to keep with us. Uh, great to have you in our country, Ben.
2: Fantastic. Thank you.
1: We all watched um, both the European finals and the, the narrative is, is, as I suggested, pretty French with an all French Heineken Cup uh, final, which, uh, which Toulouse won, and then the... Um, uh, the, the very close and exciting game on Friday night in the Challenge Cup with Montpellier just pipped Leicester. Let's let's just start start talking about what we saw because you, you you could go away from watching watching the final on 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 Saturday and some of the knockout um, games uh, leading up to that with these sort of giant um, in both in both sense of the word French teams and go well, hang on a sec, um, they they might be winning but but they're not that. They're not that easy on the eye. I, I would just like, like to lance that a little bit. If anyone were, read Stuart Barnes's column in The Times this morning, he, he did that. He was talking about finals rugby and uh, how we shouldn't be too bothered about the, the level of entertainment. because It's all about winning. But Chris, what's your takeaway on uh, what you're thinking about French rugby and what it looks like?
3: I think that point about winning finals, and, and Ben knows about this, is, is, is really important when you're looking at the at the Toulouse halfbacks, Entemac and DuPont, because you know learning to win finals is really important as part of their development. And we know that they are multi-talented, and we know that DuPont is the European player of the year and, and was by a country mile. Yeah, but he would have faced problems on on Saturday in that final, which he's going to store away going on to 2023. And this is a really important development for these younger players because, you know, France are the hosts. They've got a wonderful chance of winning the World Cup. But, you know, as we know from the Saracens players have talked about this, about the difficulties they had to, to win their first European title. You sometimes have to go back to go forward. And, you know, it's not everything went right in those finals, either for Montpellier or for, the, or for La Rochelle and Toulouse. And it was about problem solving. and And I thought at times that they didn't get it right and we had, a, we, we had a lot of muddled play and there was some really poor decision-making. But these guys are going to sit down now and they will go through those matches with a fine-tooth comb. And, and when you've got someone like Ron O'Gara helping La Rochelle, their players are also going to realise that they made some significant mistakes. And you could probably say that Ronan made a big mistake in picking Lavani in the first place because he patently wasn't fit. And then he went and got himself sent off and, and, and changed the whole dynamic of that final. But uh, I don't know what, what Ben thinks about the, the mixture between non-French players and French players seems better now because you're getting these good young French players coming through alongside some of the best players in the world, rather than having, as we know with Toulon at that point, where it was, it, it was, it was hired help, which came in to win a title. I don't know if you agree, Ben. Do you think the balance is better now?
2: I I wouldn't necessarily agree on the, it's not an idea of balance. I think the new generation of young French at the moment are not just good, they're world-class and that's, that's the whole different differentiator. But to go back to the quality of the games, let's face it. We we didn't see two quality games, whether it's the Challenge Cup or the Champions Cup in terms of of rugby that was actually produced, fair enough. But I think we're all pretty adamant that we were so delighted to see Twickenham with 10,000 people full, that was already pretty good. We're still we're still delighted to see those games just literally happening. There's always an uncertainty of the the tournament coming, you know, to its end. The, 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 there's been moments of which that I think we we sort of we forget about how crazy the last 24 months have been. When you know Exeter lost by 20 by defense, bonus points for Toulouse away, so you, you didn't really see the the the, the 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 challenges that you wanted. In the end, we still got Montpellier and, Leic- and Leicester. In the challenge cup final, two clubs who really, really cared about the competition. So I was in Bath when Montpellier, when Montpellier defending about seventy, I don't know, about seventy-five consecutive phases of picking gold by Bath, two centimeters away from their line. And that was André Pollard, you know, a World Cup winner, it was Kobius Renak, a World Cup winner, it was Guillaume Giraudou with Mohamed Awa. So exactly what you said about that. The, the the mix of sort of internationals and quality French together. But they didn't think about that. They thought about let's save and do the Montpellier jersey proud, and they did that. So a very average final, yes, but the team who wanted it the most... Now, if you, you base yourself on Toulouse-La Rochelle for the Champions Cup final, again, frustrating, maybe we would have wanted to see a non-French-French, just for the, like the rugby fans in general, if you forget that you're from La Rochelle or Toulouse, okay. But it's still the two teams that produced overall... Over the whole competition, the most explosive, uh, attack-orientated, powerful, and super-dominant sort of displays. So in the end, I think both teams deserve to be there, and Toulouse deserves to win it as a whole. And again, it's about context. I think what people seem to forget is that you look at Dupont and Ntamak and all those guys, of course, they're just outstanding. But Toulouse is a big, strong unit. It's a big unity of players. Julien Marchand, the captain, was out, suspended after the semi. That was a huge blow. Charlie far Mouina knows that if he drops, it was uh, Ainu, which is a 23-year-old Samoan uh, American international, who plays Lucid normally, who was on the bench to be tighted for a Champions Cup final. So their depth in the squad is limited to absolutely nothing. Zach Holmes was already replacing Sofiane Guitoun in the centre, who then got replaced by Malia who played four games in top 14 and lost every single one of them because he, he only played the games that Toulouse, you know, sort of rotated their squad in. So, Johan is out. Uh, you know, Lucas Tozan, I don't know if you remember this big strong winger or whatever, who was yeah. going to be the revelation, was out too. They were really, really stretched thin. So I think that's what you saw. You saw a Toulouse team who were like, listen, let's play just with a little bit of safety. Let's just keep the handbrake on because the star is for us. We want it irrespective of even if we play against nature, right? Whereas you had La Rochelle who was like, what's going to be the impact of John O'Gibbs leaving? How long is Will Skelton going to play at this level? How long is Victor Vito going to stand at this level? We don't know. So they have more that mentality of saying, let's just play what's in front of us, seize the opportunity. Are we going to win 10 or one in the next 100 years? We don't know, but at least let's try to win this one. And that's really what you saw. But you also saw a lack of experience of La Rochelle. Points under the sticks, you take them. You don't go for the scrum again. That's my personal view. Obviously, Levani maybe you guys don't see him week in, week out. But what he did against Max Medard, if you just take 10 centimeters off in the height of that tackle, it's a game-changing tackle. You kill one of the Toulouse players, it's an absolute uppercut of a punch, and you put the whole team down on the floor, and everybody... And that's what he does. He bullies people and gives his his body and soul and heart for this La Rochelle team. So... (laughs) It's that lack of experience. I don't know if Ronaldo should have picked him or not, yes or no. He's so important. He's so influential. He can basically win a game sort of in, in the spirit, on almost on his own, that I think you had to take a risk. So it, it was disappointing, yes. But the Challenge Cup final, I think the team who wanted the most won. Uh, and Champions Cup final, I think the team who overall deserved it the most won. And as long as it sticks, sort of, there's no, nobody robs anything. I'm pretty happy with it.
1: Ben can we just go back to your description of that tackle did you call it an uppercut and if you did can you give us your pronunciation again cuz i loved it
2: <laughs> I just, it's one of those you know when when somebody does something on the field that's more than just a single play and i think that uppercut whatever i said is 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 such a powerful tackle uh, that it's almost like if the whole Toulouse team is been tackled at the same time, that domino effect, you know, you almost feel the hit with your, your teammate. And so that's why it's just so, so impressive.
1: No, no, no. I, I just preferred your first version, which was, uh, I think it was upa um, a <laughs>
3: Ben, don't, don't, you, don't you agree that it was a risk not worth taking in the final of the Heineken Cup when we are so hot, the officials are so hot on hits that end up hitting the face. I mean, he could have lowered his hit by another 10 centimeters oh, and still be oh, on the p- pitch. And these are big key decisions making, made by big players.
2: I know, but 100%. Now, is it down to Levan Botia to go to play against nature? Or is it down to a coach to try to you know, pick the guys on the right occasion? I think it's a matter of, La Rochelle knew that they were, it was probably, I don't know how you want to put percentage, but it's like a 51-49 for them, right, uh, against them. So they, I think if La Rochelle played it safe, they, would, they, they didn't even stand a chance of winning. And I think that was their mindset. We might as well go full tilt, and have zero regrets, rather than, you know, try to play it safe and, and see if we can win by not playing our absolute best. And if you want to play your best and take a risk, you need to have Livani Botia there. You need to let Livani Botia do his thing. But like you said, he should have dropped his tackle for sure. To, to be honest, I'm actually happy that Max Medard is okay because I thought he was going to be in trouble. I saw his head whacked at the back. He, he chopped him in half. I was, I was sort of in and out from the side of the pitch up to a box to do some commentary for BT. And we were just outside when that hit happened. I, 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 I thought that I heard some bones break. It was that hard. Like I've never, I've rarely seen such an impressive tackle, to be honest. The speed that went, at, at which he went, not forget about the height, but the speed uh, at, at, at the moment of impact was, was bone crushing. And so I'm happy that Max Medar is okay. Definitely those tackles can't happen. But then if you, was it, you fast forward what, 15 minutes later, I can't remember, there's another, another tackle, or it's Pitaki, isn't it? Or there's another, yeah. another tackle that's really, really close. And it's, not, it's barely a penalty. I'm like, guys, how do you expect players to actually, you know, properly sit down on a Monday and try to say, we're going to change our behaviours if you're talking millimetres that go from a red card to a simple penalty? I'm like, it's that's undoable.
1: Going back to the, the quality or, or the, the type of rugby we saw, and, and, and I introduced this question just reminding you that we can't watch the top 14 in, in England anymore. So the, the only rugby... Unfortunately... That- yeah, well, no. I, I, unfortunately, I, I mean that. But um, so the only uh, rugby that I've been able to see from uh, from the French club sides is in Europe. And. Uh, and, and in the knockout rounds, they've dominated, but they haven't played beautiful rugby. So, can you tell me what you think French club rugby looks like at the moment back at home? When you have got a very vibrant, exciting Top Fourteen just uh, competition just coming to, to a finish, uh, I don't, I don't think what we've seen in Heineken Cup is representative French of, of French club rugby particularly. But uh, but, you, but you, you've seen and you know know far more.
2: You said exciting and vibrant Top Fourteen, and that's a v- very kind of you. Unfortunately, top 14 is so stressful from time to time that the quality of rugby that's played isn't always up there. The, the economical impact of having all that money generated, it's self-proclaimed best premiership in the world, right? Uh, in terms of quality of rugby, it's, it's not true. In terms of intensity, passion, devotion from the fans, uh, economical, financial involvement of the owners... Quality of players on the field, 100%. Yes.
1: Our league here is self-proclaimed best league in the world as well. The, uh, the <laughs> premiership, yeah. it, everyone believes
2: that's the best league, but sorry, carry on. When you see the quality sides going at it and I have like, uh, I'll, I'll keep in mind a Clermont-Toulouse uh, game that was two years ago for my final season. We ended up playing them in the final, but just like one of the last league games when finally everybody's on the pitch, when the, the whole, the full Clermont side and the full Toulon side go at it and if, finished like 45-44, some extraordinary game with some attacking pace absolutely everywhere. Chelsea and Kobe, you know, bouncing back from Damien Peno and vice versa. And it was one of those extraordinary moments. Unfortunately, top 14, that's pretty rare because for one, you, you rarely get the four sides going at it. Uh, there's a lot of rotation there's so many games basically that uh, they still play during Six Nations and the players need some rest so basically the internationals have to come in and out and will play a maximum of 15 games probably for their for their yeah. sides every, every year and so the quality of rugby sometimes isn't there but French rugby as in, in its heart in its soul is based on passion on ag- on physicality on aggressivity and I think that's what you saw against against La Rochelle and, and Toulouse they said let's not take too many risks but let's just give absolutely everything we've got in the tank the ruck area, which to be honest, I thought was an absolute mess. There could have been seven hundred penalties per ruck. To be honest, if you if you zoomed into every contact, I mean, if you apply the the law again of saying you know you can't hit on the joints, you can't uh, hit on the head, you can't use an elbow, I was like, listen, so there's a guy's gonna be sent off every ruck, and that's 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 the way that we do it. So. French French rugby is getting better. is getting influenced by that new generation of the Damien Penault, uh, you, you know them, the Serin Dupont, Entamac Carbonel, Jalibert, uh, Vakatawa, Fiku. All those guys. They get influenced by the fact that you can't that that physicality and and physical dominance is not, never going to be enough, and that fast paced rugby is rewarded. Ball in play is rewarded, and so that's where we're shifting. But but heart and passion will always be in the middle. It will be super interesting to see if the if those two same two teams Toulouse and La Rochelle end up being in the top 14 final which is very probable very very possible and if the quality of rugby will be the same i reckon it will be even more aggressive and even less rugby played <laughs>
1: Chris, in English rugby, for a while we, we, we've had a maybe a completely mis place of superiority uh, in in one regard. If you're comparing English versus French club rugby, that um, we we have believed that English clubs are a fitter, are, are best prepared than French clubs, and that French clubs are, are more based on on heavy and physicality and and, and, and less and less of the ball movement. Do you, that, that that's like a cliche, which I think maybe was right four years ago, but I, I have been under the impression that that's changed. Uh, that that has been changing, which I think is what you've been saying, Ben. What, what do you, would you, where, where do you stand on that, Chris?
3: I think that, you know, this young crop of French players that are coming through are demanding the ball and demanding the ability to impress their talent on things, which is great, but you know, it is still based around this, this heavy bludgeon and, and, I was just very concerned at the end of that match that Luke Pierce, who as Ben pointed out, had been looking at these car crashes that were the breakdowns all the match and then making decisions. In the last few few minutes, I felt he sort of abdicated any responsibility and just let it Go. He, d- he didn't seem to want to sort of make the big call because there were some very interesting things going on in those final couple of rucks yeah. where you could have actually stuck the old whistle in your mouth and said, "Hold on, a minute, this is a key penalty. I'm going to award here." And it just it seemed to get to him. I might be wrong in that. I don't know what you guys thought, but I just thought that at the end it was like, "Let's get this match over with now. It's pretty close. To, let's get off the pitch." Because so you're talking you know, about the f- absolute, on with the absolute order, last penalty. Yeah. You could have looked at all those rocks and said, look, there's, you yeah, know, look at that going on. There could have been a decision. And quite honestly, could we have taken any more decisions or going upstairs? Because, you know, these matches now are going like two hours, 15 minutes. Yeah. It's, I don't know if it's the same situation in France with the use of the, of, the, of the TV match officials, Ben, but it's getting ridiculous.
2: No, no, it's 100% is. And to be honest, there was a really funny moment because, you know how in Super Rugby, there's that captain challenge thing that they're trying to implement? Um, because the the stadiums are empty. You can hear absolutely everything in France. The crowds are not back yet Well, they're back from last week, a thousand people. And, but it's still, still, the numbers are not the same. So you can still hear everything. And I was watching the Clermont-Toulon game of two weeks ago. And there's a clear penalty in the rug. Sébastien Valmaina, you know, a ball comes out. You don't know how. And Baptiste Sorin, who's a nine from Toulon start yelling and stuff. And you can hear all the chit chat. And he asks for the video. Which they then look at because otherwise it wasn't given. And then they look at it and they re- and they give a penalty and a yellow card against Seba and Maina. And after the game, the ref is like, no, no, it wasn't a captain's challenge. I had a doubt. I had a doubt. Yeah. My fourth official was whispering to me in my ear that I'm looking at it. And it so happens that Baptiste Soran came question came at the same time. You know, it's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> so so yes, we do we do ask a lot of video because again, the tension is sky high so you imagine forget about the crowds but all the i mean sometimes i'm a little bit ashamed of the 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 behavior of the coaching staff on the side you can't imagine how you can't even grasp how desperate people are to win there's the financial involvement there's the pride. there's you know the the fact that you always want to that it's very competitive that there's one that gets zero to nine can qualify for the top six but then seven to 13 can go down to second division So it's it's very very tense. Everybody's holding each other, on pretty much a four points margin. So you know, so one week you're saved, the other week you're doomed. And so every decision is super heavy. So the refs now to try to back themselves with extra evidence tend to use quite a lot of video. Yeah,
1: Chris. At the end of a European season, we 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 like to stroke our chins and talk about the balance of power and which way the uh, which way the game's going. And uh, and clearly, if you want to take a, a message. Out of out of this last season, it's saying, well, the, the French teams are more, uh, as dominant as they've ever been. They obviously won both competitions, had three of the four semi-finals of the Heineken Cup, uh, uh, and that is that just this year? Is it a one-off, or do you think that that is a reflection of where where the European game is and where we're going to be for for a while?
3: Look, well, it's, it's good to see French teams delivering and not get yeah you know, getting themselves whistled off the pitch and not showing us what they can do. And and we've known you know that there is this. Potential for the French clubs to dominate, but let's remember who's not around at the moment. It's a North London team called Saracens, yeah, you know, who are not going to be uh, weak when they come back up. Who, you know, who are not going to be in for a while. But you know, they are, they're missing from the, from the European competition, and and you know, some of the the best players in Europe were unable to play, which is you know for their own faults. But you know, yeah, you know, that's a dynamic which is is normally a part, of, a big part of, of recent uh, Heineken Cups. And they weren't there. And, you know, I think it, it's a great shame that we didn't see their their best players also having a go in this in this competition because it is the very, very best. And I know we all say, well, let's have a north-east-south. Yeah, basically, that means the Crusaders against anybody who wins up here. But can you imagine a Toulouse-Crusaders game at the moment? Yeah, One, where would you fit it in? But wouldn't it be just fantastic to see... If the domination which New Zealand has just hammered Australia with in the super rugby matches between the two can be transferred into exactly what we think we've got here, which is a, at the moment a French dominated European scene with, with English clubs you know, really trying very hard. And I was very disappointed with Leinster. We've always thought that they, could, they were the number one team in Europe. Well, no, they're not the number one team in Europe and they've got to come again. And again, that'll be interesting to see how they do that with some young players coming through. But at the moment, it's definitely a you know, pole position for the French. I'd love to see Toulouse versus uh, the Crusaders. Ben, that would be... I mean, you, I'm sure you'd be
2: commentating on it, Ben, but I think it'd be a fantastic <laughs> match, wouldn't it? I, I would adore to see it, to be honest. And that's, that's my... That's the, I I get asked this question quite a lot. You know, what's the future of rugby? We talk about private equity coming into the game and obviously wanting to take things in different direction. There are people who are going to invest heavily, but to get a return on interest because that's the nature of their business. They're not philanthropics. And so they're going to want to create things that don't exist. I was already sort of, you know, it was mouthwatering when I heard that the Lion Store, you know, was going to be canceled. You didn't know what was going on. And there was this whole potential australian tournament where france australia the lions and south africa you remember with with that idea was going to meet in australia so i was thinking i'm gonna see france play the lions i was that's history in the making i would love to see that happen i actually don't want the french to be invited in the british irish lions because it wouldn't make any sense it's completely against nature you don't want to force it but i would be desperate to see the lions not only tour france imagine that i mean that would be everybody's getting excited about the world cup 2023 get the Lions to come to France and they will adore it because there's the midweek games. So you can get the Lions against, you know, Toulouse without and and Tamak and DuPont and whatever. So when something doesn't exist and they were saying that in Australia we could create history, I was super excited. What scares the living life out of me is the the, the bodies that are going to be left behind and buried back in Premiership and Top 14 and, and all those moments where the pandemic hit and... France said, "No, no, no. Uh, we, we, you know, we'll can the season." And now for Europe, they're like, "No, no, 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 no. We're not can the season. Whatever happens, whatever happens, those games need to be played, because basically you're almost putting an amount of money on a, a, a player's health. That's pretty much what happened. And I was with Philippe Saint-André in Bath when they won, and he was absolutely delighted. We're going to get a final uh, in Twickenham. It's going to save our seasons, but." It means we need to play three games in eight days. And he was already, you know, really scared of the impact they can have on his players. And so players can do it once, but you don't know if that doesn't mean that in four, five, six weeks they'll get seriously injured because your body, your body does take a toll. So creating history, I would love to see Toulouse against Crusaders as a rugby fan, something that doesn't exist. It's already mouthwatering. And of course that would be extraordinary. But what really scares the living life out of me is that that was already part of a rugby where there's too many games. And I really, really could not. I I really struggled 2013, 14, 15, when I really played for the French team the whole time to go back and forth. I mean, November tests, when you do, when you play, there was in 2013, I think, when I started really starting, we played the All Blacks, uh, Tonga in in Le Havre and then South Africa just to finish. Then the week after I played uh, Toulon in Toulon for a qualifier. And then we went back-to-back Munster. I started all those games. I'll tell you what, after that, I wanted to retire for six months and take a sabbatical. My body was drenched, so it really is extremely, extremely hard. So it's it's, it's what's I, I think. I think the premierships are and and never change it. What's the system that's in England, the system in France, is club-based. Absolutely. That's where we're proud. That's, that's where the fans are. That's where we want. I want the special, the specialness about Exeter, the specialness about Gloucester, the specialness about Leicester, the specialness about Saracens, and the same in France. Please, let's cultivate that. That is our heart and soul. I adore European rugby, right? I think it's, it's those, those those features that we all love because rugby is about. That's why Six Nations is so special. We love, you know, the fact that Scotland is not Ireland. It's not, it's definitely not England. It's not Wales. It's completely different. But the same way that we are different, we're near neighbours, but we're properly different. And we, we like to cultivate that difference. That's the whole thing about rugby. We'll give banter before the game. We'll smash the living life out of each other for 18 minutes. And then we'll laugh about it and be, and be good human beings. And then, but then there's too many games. There's way too many games. So it really scares me.
0: Planning for your next trip?
1: So it is um it, well, now we're talking about physicality in too many games and and, and the uh the, the threat to to the health of our athletes is um probably a good time to mention Theo Brophy clues isn't it
3: absolutely age of 24 years that's all has to be forced to give up his career with London Irish you know very talented young back and too many concussions and uh yeah, talking to John O'Ross at the moment, he's had three this season already. He's currently um uh, completing a period away from uh from rugby. He's a captain of sale, they're, they're they're heading for the playoffs, and they believe they're gonna win the title, and he wants to be part of that. But at the same time, he's been to see a neurosurgeon in Manchester, which said, Yeah, if we continue playing, but he knows that three concussions is three too many, and yeah, quite rightly at the age of 30. He's got to ask the question: How many years can I keep on doing this with with, with the risk? He's got a young four month old daughter, and uh, there are bigger issues out there. And Ben, I don't, is it as, as as big a problem in France?
2: Uh, it's it's absolutely huge. Uh, it's absolutely huge. I think ho- hopefully it's starting to be in the awareness of all. Uh, we've seen. I mean, look, it, the, we've seen some pretty horrendous videos of guys getting seriously hit and some pressure coming from, you know, on the side above beyond what well, you don't want to come back. You don't want to come back. So that for me is the main issue that needs to be addressed. Uh, I was part of a club where in, in ISM clermont verne for the last 10 years, where we were very much at the, at the front foot of the research around uh, concussions and doing a lot of different protocols and really trying to go the right way. And even that wasn't enough. You, you simply cannot get things perfectly. Uh, the Jamie Cudmore, you know, sort of trial in the middle, we were very, very much in, in the middle of in the midst of this. The, my only issue with this is that and it might be I hope it's not counterproductive, but the only way we're ever going to solve this is if players take the decisions. There is no doctor in the world who can tell you precisely or oh, you personally will be two weeks out and you will be six months. John or Ross will go see 10 neurosurgeons. There'll be nine of them who will tell him, mate, hey, you really need to stop. And there's one of them who will, be, who will believe in him. And so the player will believe it and want to keep on going. It's always, everybody reacts differently to this thing. That's why it's so complicated. In in Clermont, we started using the the blood samples of, there's a protein that apparently that's generated by your brain whenever there's a a collision, a protein S1000, I think it's called or something like that. But everybody's levels tend to differ. And guys in, in rugby, we all, you know, I get injured. Somebody tells me six weeks, I will go see the physio that tells me it's only three weeks. That's just the nature of the business. We want to be there faster and faster, faster. Coaches come down every morning. They're like, right, it's been out for 10 weeks. Okay, we've got a semi-final in eight weeks. You've got to do it, mate. That's that's the type of pressure that the doctors are under. That's the type of pressure that the players are under. And that's the type of pressure that we all want to be under because that's part of professional sport. You never want to miss out, right? So as long as the players don't have some sort of stability financially, emotionally, Life after rugby, I don't think they will ever be able to, 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 to solve this issue. So if anything, I would be more investing into player welfare. Forget about the health, but about, you know, extra academic at- activities next to it. Leave rugby where it should be, which is an absolute passion, which is a sport, which is a, a love of the game, but not a necessity to live, not a, a you know, a financial, how do you say that? Dependence. From, from the players to it. And I, that's what I feel that it's like. The pressure needs to seriously come down to be able to put your, switch your TV on or bring your kids to see Crusaders to lose and just enjoying this beautiful game for what it is, an extraordinary physical game where players need to rest and players cannot jeopardize anything about their health. And for me, you can't play around with, with the brain or the neck. These are the two only things. I mean, every rugby player in the world will be happy to limp for 50 years if they've won titles. They were happy to have a broken nose and some ugly ears and destroyed shoulders. But the neck and the brain you, you just cannot play
1: you sound it almost ben as if you 're advocating a return to amateur rugby or semi pro rugby where um because you, as you're saying it the it, it, as in many sports, once finance becomes a part of it, that brings a whole a whole other pressure
2: so not amateur but you you've you've hit it on the nail i 'm a big advocate of not semi pro but <laughs> Some sort of hybrid way. So I'll give you my example. I had a fantastic career. Absolutely adored it. But after 2015, the World Cup in in England, which personally I, I really didn't enjoy. There was loads of things that just didn't go my um, the way that I wanted. Uh, I got called up for the French team after, but I saw Guillaume Guiraud was the captain. I saw that my international window was over, and I start. I've always, you know, kept in phase with my studies. I've had a bit a few business sort of ventures on the side, and I actually the last four years of my career were the ones that I enjoyed. Absolutely, by a mile the most because the more I was doing away from rugby, the more I was enjoying my day to day in rugby. And everybody's like, Ben, what are you doing? Because, you know, careful, you're going to use too much energy because, you know, we need to train so much and because this, because that. I know that the guys who on the Tuesday afternoon go and take a nap for two hours are the ones who don't play at the weekend. You just need to be cautious about what you do. But keeping rugby where it is, which was my absolute pleasure. But then keeping putting it, I, I, I called my rugby career, my, my, my golden era, you know, it's my, my parenthèse dorée, don't you call that? The, but it was a bit surreal. Real life is, is, is a lot more complicated. And so when I had to take a decision for my neck, when I still had two years of contract down the line, I decided to retire because I was just going to take too much of a risk. And I was like, I'm not ready to take that risk. I'm 35 and they're telling me that at 50, if I keep on going and have another surgery and stuff, I might have, you know, sort of problems in my fingers that will start moving on their own. So at 50, I want to be playing tennis with my girls. What are you talking about? I'll still be a young man, you know? There's, there's, there's no, not even a question about it. So not only to save the, the, to save the, to make the decision-making for players when in troubled times easier, do I want them to have stuff on the side? But also, because I promise you, they will be better rugby players. If they can actually concentrate and take rugby only for what it's for, they will come with a big old smile on their faces and actually deliver there. So the involvement and the bridge between sports and business is absolutely huge. Why do companies sponsor rugby? They love it. The values of rugby are there and they're real. But so I would love it if, in a way that on the day off on the Thursday, if guys could just go work one day a week, you know, just do or study one day a week, but a full proper day a week. And that's part of their thing. You talk about salary cap. Well, I know that Saracens got pinged and they got taken, you know, hand in the cookie jar massively. Okay. But there's also the the co-investments I thought was actually the best thing I ever heard. Do I want to, you know, to have Nigel Ray just as a president or do I want to use Nigel Ray's business knowledge, which don't get me wrong, I think he knows a a thing or two about, for, for the future welfare of those players. Please use them for that. Imagine if you do the same thing in France. Mohamed Altrad, the Montpellier president, was was given the title of Entrepreneur of the Year. I think like five, a World Entrepreneur of the Year five years ago. He knows stuff about business. Jackie Lorenzetti is absolutely huge. Doctor Vild, you know, in in Stade Français. Why not give those players an opportunity to actually seriously co-invest or you know have a business mind with, with that? I think that would be enor- enormous, and that would probably force players to stay within the same clubs for longer rather than you go chasing just that little extra buck. If you know that your family's happy, that you're after rugby sorted, then everybody's a win-win. So you can't go back to amateur. You can't do semi-pro. But uh, 80-20, something like some sort of hybrid solution, I think for me is the future.
3: One of the great shames about what happened with Saracens is that it clouded uh, situations like the one that George Cruz has created, where together with Dominic Day... They have exactly. a fantastic business, which has just had uh, a six-figure investment from a series of, of backers, including Jason Roy, the cricketer. You know, and he's enjoying his life in Japan. You know, winning obviously the the, the the top league title is fantastic, but he's also using that as an opportunity to look at opportunities of business in Japan and expanding this thing he's created. and And he he's talking to him. He, he's so he's so alive with the opportunities, which is I think, Ben, is, is what you're talking about, isn't it?
1: When, when we uh, start playing sport as kids, it's, uh, it's a, a release at the end of a day at school or something, or it's a, or, or it's a thing you look forward to at the weekend. Uh, and I, th- I think that, that there are many examples in professional rugby, I- in England increasingly so, where people are beginning to click onto what you're saying, Ben, that uh, if you have a fuller life and your rugby is something you're looking forward to as a, a release from, I don't know, uh, starting a family or, or, or having a, a business or whatever, then you go into it f- fresh and you're, and you're, you're thrilled to get at it. Whereas if it's your be all on your end all, then it's what you're eating and living and sleeping and, and your definition of whether you're being successful or whether you've had a good day or a good week, all hangs on how you did at the weekend. And, and, and that, and that's unhealthy. So I think that's a part of it. Um, I think we're getting better at, advising players that they should be uh more have a, a broader view of the world but um i think especially young players struggle with that because they want to they want to get to the top as fast as they can um anyway listen i just i do want to just want to rewind because i think there's still quite a lot lot on France that we've got to talk about since we've got ben here ben what what's your view on french dominance in in europe is it do, do you think this This year is reflective of of where we are. Do you see it uh, being sustained? Um, And the fact is we're going to have South Africans in there probably in two seasons time. So that'll shake it up a bit.
2: Well, well, that's, that's the whole, that's a whole different discussion. Um, I hope that's not uh, carved in stone and and definite uh, that they can still, you know, overthink this. But um, so I, I agree with the point the, um, that Chris made about the the, the absence of Saracens. It's, it's yeah. only fair to say that if they were there, things could be different. But um, it's also the first year that I, I've always had the privilege of being involved in French clubs that took uh, the Champions Cup or European rugby extremely seriously, whether it's the challenge with Clermont or Champions Cup, it was always sort of the number one target. It's not the case everywhere. So... It's the first year that Bordeaux seriously go at it. It's the first year that even Lyon, you know, tried to go seriously at it. Um, it's, it's the apart from it took a long time for for uh, racing to get there. But other than Toulouse and Clermont, who have always made a priority, and then Toulon in the in the big good old days, um, French clubs would always go full tilt for the first game. If you just so happened to lose the first one by one point, then it was game over rotation. Yeah. Um, so that's it's the first time that everybody is there I mean La Rochelle took it seriously is it down to Jono Gibbs and Ronan O'Gara absolutely and they got the players to buy into it and to um, and to fully go at it so it's a reflection of two things of firstly finally European rugby being a main target for all French clubs secondly with with players individual players and individual team just very very hot at the moment and if you the icing on the cake is the fact that Saracens weren't there. And can I ask you about Stad, because you know they
3: were dead, you know, winning challenge, been Challenge Cup finals and that. But you know, they're such a fantastic name and such a, a strong brand and image for for rugby. Are they are they on the way back? Are are things right there? Because so, so many things went wrong, didn't they? At the same time,
2: absolutely. Uh, a decade, a decade of problematic uh, institutional problems that honestly were. It's a bit like the 2011 uh, World Cup final for France. In French, we have an, an, uh, an expression to say, "c'est l'arbre qui cache la forêt. It's, it's the tree that hides the forest. And actually the 2011 final against New Zealand was the worst thing that could have happened to French rugby because everybody thought everything was fine. Oh, we could have won the World Cup. Surely you don't want to shake everything up. Everything was already in pieces. And with Stade Francais, it's the same thing. They won the title in 2015 against my team, Clermont. And and they were already in pieces. They just did it out of out of through true heart. They were, I think they were fifth in the league that season, you know. So it's not like, and they really just dug deep for the last three games with around Gonzalo Quesada and a, a young hot bunch of Rabastimani and Sergio Parise and all those guys. But they were already massively in problem. Um, the sh- this the post-Max Guazzini era was was a disaster in terms of culture, of values. Uh, of mindset other teams were seriously getting professional. Paris is obviously a lot more complicated because everything that you want to try to build costs fifteen times more than anywhere else. Um, I, I believe they are back because they're backed with one of the wealthiest men in world rugby, um, which is the Caprisan owner. And you know, professional. I always, I don't know if it's wild or vild, uh, but obviously he's injecting a huge amount of capital in there. But capital isn't just enough. Uh, there's obviously the passage of my former Leicester Tigers uh, coach Haneke Meyer, who unfortunately damaged seriously the the culture and the values of the club. It just wasn't the right fit for the right time, and that takes a takes a toll on the club. It's one thing, you know, to have a bad season, but then the, your players leave, your sponsors are not happy, the 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 press doesn't see you the same way. It takes a long time to rebuild. So now with Thomas Lombard as as sort of director of operations, Gonzalo Quesada, director of rugby and some good French talent right in the middle there. I think, I think they will be back on the rise there. They're heading in the right direction. Mm,
3: great. Well, that's great news. It really is. It's uh, some of the great European trips to go across and just see them under Max put on a show. It was just like a show, like no show you'd ever seen before. I remember at Stade when they played Harlequins and uh, at Stade de France, and they had uh, guys on horseback with, uh, in armor. Uh, you know, charging up and down the side of the pitch. You can imagine them the, the groundsman would have been topping himself at the sight of horses churning up his turf. But it, it was part of the big show and it was just great to see.
1: Do you not think, Ben, that you could bring that sort of thing to Tunbridge Wells?
2: <laughs> hey, I've got a really cute story is that I'm, I've am so got this house uh, about a year ago that we're transforming and we had a really big problem with a, a super heavy um, a steel beam. And we just can move it because a, a crane can come in or whatever. We had big, big issues. And on the Monday, I get a message from the Tumage um coach who's like, oh, I just saw that you arrived in the area. If you ever need anything, let me know. And I was like, well, you don't, you don't try, you don't get. So I texted him back. Well, actually, if, if your front five is not doing anything, I've got a 1.1 <laughs> tonne. A metal you know steel beam to move and that would really help me and uh, fair play to them on the Wednesday at five to nine there was ten blokes in front of my it was pouring down rain and there was ten blokes in front of my house and we moved that steel beam that got it where, where we needed to be and so after that I'll said, oh listen next training I'll come up I'll, I'll pay a round of beers or something and now I, I coach the forwards from time to time so <laughs> they, they sort of they lured me and then they got me so the plans are not to get to the Premiership. The plans are not to to have uh, horses charging down the side, the pitch line, Temperatures. But there's a fantastic rugby club that that we're going to try to take in the right direction.
1: Oh, good for you, good for you, Ben. Fi- final question: When you agreed to come on this show, did anyone mention God or Goddess of the Week to you? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, listen, you have got about thirty seconds to think because uh, we, we traditionally at the end of, at the end of the pod do um. We all name our our favourite person of the week, which we call the God God or Goddess of the week. So uh, I'll, I'll I'll let you scratch your head for a minute and and turn to Chris.
3: Yeah, well I've got I've got two. Uh, one I just want to mention her try for Harlequins in the semi-finals against Wasps. Jess Bridge scored a try that if England give the same short ball on a line that she ran to Johnny May, boy would they transform their rugby? It was just just wonderful to watch. And if you haven't seen it on 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 YouTube. Get out and have a look at that. Jess Breach scoring for Harlequins against while she was very close to being my goddess of the week. But my God of the week is that I love a good cover tackle. I love a I love a guy who's prepared to go that extra mile just to put his body on the line. And Jeffrey Dumaru's tackle on Chesin and that is just, I think it's sublime. It was just wonderful. What a what a it summed up the guy didn't he would not give up and going back to Ben what you said about you know you give everything for your team boy did he give everything for his team in that tackle it was just wonderful
1: very good I'll give you mine which is well well done to Steve Borthwick for returning Leicester to something where we want Leicester to be He, he he doesn't dazzle us off the pitch but what he's done to that club in returning it to to some kind of a prominence and and you knew from the way that they lost uh, lost that final on Friday night by just the one point that 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 was um uh, only uh, the foothills of where, where he wants to take him. so i i have him as my god of the week
2: over to you ben it's not so much on one particular thing that i think i i could have mentioned so it's going to be a toulouse guy i could have mentioned Yosef atekori who is my former um uh, mate from Castre the big, massive Samoan second row who's such an l- absolute legend of a bloke you know the the life and the soul of a changing room who stole the 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 the, the touch flag uh, uh from post you know from Tukenem and he was using it as a flag and stuff and I'm telling you that touch flag is in Toul- is in Toulouse because I received some pictures and he's celebrating <laughs> with it and it's just it's just a cute funny moment of you know you, you want guys to stay genuine and he's 100000% genuine and really kind but my God of the week will have to be Jerome Kano because I think the humility and the, the legend status really comes when you're able to be a legend in more than one country, in more than one team. And I know for a fact that uh, in Toulouse, everybody absolutely adores him. He is down to earth, very relaxed. one two two time World Cup winner who uh, gets to Toulouse and is asked to play second row because they're missing out and played without even you know blinking and played mm-hmm. four or five times second row and now he's going to bow down from or you know leave the game at the end of the season and he just won the champions cup and he's 38 he's got nothing to prove to anyone and he's absolutely killing it by by just a legendary status and a legendary way of behaving so he, he would be my my god of the week
1: very, very that's too good. good for me ben what a treat to have you on thank you so much for joining us chris good to see you again as ever Uh, anyone out there who's listened to this podcast thank you again for joining us Uh, as you know we will be back next week thank you for listening